Morning. morning. Good morning. Yeah. Do you guys realize it's been over a year since we've met indoors? Over a year. What a weird two-week experiment, huh? But even with this, don't we have joy in Christ? Nothing has stopped our joy in Christ. Amen. Nothing can stop our joy in Christ. Amen. Amen. Um, we have dear visitors from Vallejo, um, John and Noel Luna. Why don't we have them stand and embarrass them? Let's embarrass them. John, can you introduce your brood, please? Your growing brood. Hi, Jubes. John Luke. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, you're, we're so glad to see you guys again, see all of you here. So wonderful. Good to see you guys. First Corinthians chapter 7. We're continuing in our... Uh, passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you would turn with us, Paul's been addressing questions, very important questions. How do we live in Christ? You know, oftentimes, it, with, uh, especially what we've been going through, restrictions and masks and separation and families not even seeing each other sometimes and holidays and things like that. It starts to wear on you. I don't know about you. It starts to wear on me. Does it wear on you? It starts to wear on me. And yet Paul says that in Christ we can still have contentment in him. So if you would turn with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17 to 24. And I'll go ahead and read the text. It says here, Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you were able also to become free, rather do that. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while, a f while free is Christ's slave. Verse 23. Look at these words. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. Why don't we pray? Father, we come before you and we look at this text and we ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand it, to learn it, to obey it, 
to see that Christ, once again, by his cross work, by his person, has once again given us another application of the cross. That is, we are set free. We can be content in whatever condition you save us. Oh Lord, we know the world militates against it, fights against it. Oh God, there is nothing, nothing that could remove our joy except our own sin if we let it. In you, Christ, in you is fullness and abundance. Not just the salvation and the forgiveness of sins, but there is sustenance to live. You are the manna of each day, we pray. I pray for uh, my hurting brothers and sisters who are in struggle, who are in trial. I pray that, Christ, you would refresh their souls this morning. And those of you... Uh, those of our, our friends who have come and don't know you, I pray that you would reveal Christ. That he is not only the forgiver of our sins, but he is the sustainer of our days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul now continues in shedding light. If you recall in chapter 7, the book of Corinth, there, there were people who were single, there were people who were divorced, there were people who were unmarried, who've never been married, and they're uh, what they would call virgins. Uh, and so he moves on and he discusses it in chapter 7 of how, would he, how do we live this life in whatever marriage status that we're in? What are we supposed to do with this? And he explains what the marriage life should be and how it glorifies Christ. He explains about the unmarried and the widows. And then he moves on to discuss the circumcised and the slave and freedmen. Or you could call this the religious and the economic situations that they're in. You see, many of the believers, if you recall, in Corinth, they lived under a cruel and corrupt government. They endured evil social practices. We know that in Corinth, uh, it, was, it was a debauched town. It was a sailor town. It was a trade town. We know it was debauched. How is a believer to live? Paul says that there is contentment in Christ no matter what station you are in life. See, what happens is, and I get there too. I want to be honest with you. I get there too. That as you get your mind off of Christ, you could quickly lose your contentment and joy in Him. It's very easy to do. But what this does is when we're not focusing and not dwelling in His Word, it minimizes Christ's glory both in your life and in the sight of others. Why? Because it shows now that these problems that are in your life, they are bigger than Christ. They rob you of your joy. They steal it from you. In other words, Christ is no longer enough. He's not sufficient. He can't grant you joy in these circumstances. And yet Paul says, in any circumstance, any circumstance you could have Christ. The Bible speaks differently on this. It says that Christ himself is our joy and contentment. In him, we can get our eyes off of our circumstances and onto Christ. It's just like if you recall, when, Peter, when Jesus called Peter to step out on the water. He said, step out on the water. And as Peter got his eyes off of Christ and looked at his problems and he looked as he stood on the water, he started to sink. That's us, isn't it? 
That is the struggle of life, living in this broken world. We have an unbroken Savior. Amen? So, maybe that's where you are this morning, and you come this morning. But let me tell you, this in this text, God is speaking to you this morning, believer, so that you would live contented in Christ. And we know that this is the thesis of the passage, if you recall, look at verse 17. He says, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner, let him walk. Verse 20. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Verse 24. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. And if you look at what's happening here, the emphasis is not the changing of my outside situation. Do you notice that? It's not the controlling and the scheming and the manipulating of outside circumstances. It is. You can live in the way that God has saved you and be content in Him. He is enough, brothers and sisters. Amen? It doesn't matter what the government does to us. It doesn't matter. I mean, I'm watching what's happening in Canada. It does not matter. Christ is enough. He will never be taken from us. Amen? And so now, we go to this text. We have to understand the context for us and the background, the cultural background. And then we'll see the application for us. So will you go with me? From this text, you're going to see two common threats. Two common threats to contentment in Christ. If you are fixated on these threats, they can easily rob you of joy and delight in Jesus. These two threats to commitment in Christ, you got to beware. The first one is beware of the snare of pleasing others. Beware of the snare of pleasing others. Now you're going to look at that and say, Angelo, how did you get that? It's not theological gymnastics. Just take a look, okay? Beware of the snare of pleasing others. Look at verses 17 to 19. To avoid the snare of pleasing others, there are three truths you have to remember. So these are the subpoints under bewaring the snare of pleasing others. First, remember God saves. Remember God saves. What here's my point. He determines how. He determines when. He determines from what background. He determines from what ethnic group you come from. He determines from what economic group you've come from. He determines from what region you come from. And what he says is when God saves you, yes, we are to hate the sin that is in our lives. We are to turn away from the sin. But he saves you and he redeems you in your own identity. Do you understand that? That means when you are saved, if you're saved as a Filipino American or we got Puerto Rican Americans and Cuban Americans and we got people from the Midwest, if he saves you in that situation, he saves you in that culture. You don't have to change, do you understand? You don't have to meet someone else's requirements. And the requirement that was given is circumcision. That's the requirement that people were starting to put on the gospel. And it militated against the gospel. He says, only as the Lord assigned to each one. This is a reference to Christ. The word therefore assigned means to apportion. And then he repeats this as 
God the Son and God the Father are together in your salvation. He says, as God has called each. Notice he uses the word called. He uses the word called because he is stating that in salvation it is his initiative. It is his purpose. And so what he does is he says, in this manner let him walk. And then he gives this all to, to all the churches. He says, and this I direct in all the churches. So understand. This principle of how to live in contentedness, contentment, this principle should be practiced by all Christians. Our focus should not be. And this is where, as a church, we lose the potency of the gospel. When we start to think we could change the world by its outside constructions, when the true power of the gospel, brothers and sisters, comes one heart at a time, when transformation of whole societies comes from one transformation of the heart first. See, your background, your upbringing, the timing, the relationships you've had, the experiences you had, your culture, your economic standing, were all the canvas that God has made in your life. And he takes that canvas full of sin, full of experience, full of suffering, full of dreams, full of disappointments, and he paints the beauty of his son. The reminder is that God now displays what he does to a life in Christ when it is redeemed. If you're white, he shows a white person who's redeemed. If you're black, he shows a black person who is redeemed. A Hispanic, a Filipino, someone who is rich, someone who is poor, someone from the middle class, someone who comes from a two-parent home, someone who comes from a one-parent home, someone who was born and raised as a ward of the state. You can show, this is who I am, this is what Christ has done in my life. This is God's design, brothers and sisters. That he redeems a people from within its diversity. This is why he says in Revelation 5, he will redeem a people from every tribe. What does it say? Help me. Tribe what? Tongue and nation. Because it shows forth his beauty when all kinds of people from all kinds of background glorify the sun. It shows his beauty that all the peoples worship him. So remember God saves and he saves you in your situation and the conditions in which you were saved. I remember I was in seminary and I had a, uh, I was in seminary and I had a brother, I was in I was in my 30s, I think. Yeah, I was in my 30s. And I had a brother who was next to me, and he was in his late 50s. And we were learning about the treasures and the glory and the wonder of Christ together. And he looked at me and he says, Angelo, I wish I learned this earlier. I wish I learned when I was younger. Not legalism, not all this Christian legalism that was put upon us. You know, don't smoke, don't chew, don't date girls who do. Right? And I said, brother, there is a reason he saved you in, and he changed you much later. And he's going to use it phenomenally, fantastically. But celebrate in those changes, amen? In those differences. And so he goes on. And so remember, God saves. He's the one that determines from what background you come from. He's the one who determines that all. He saved you. He reached in. 
I know many of you are from the original church plant. He went to Vallejo and saved you. Amen? Amen, Jubes. That's right. So God, give, give me that amen right there. Amen. Verse 18. Notice he says here, Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be uncircumcised. Okay, now let me unpack this. My, my second sub-point is that remember God understands. Okay? He understands where you come from. He understands. He calls you to holiness. He calls you to follow Christ. But he also understands because he understands culture. Circumcision, as you know, was the sign of the covenant between God and Israel, performed on every Hebrew boy at eight days of age. It was a sign that stated in external terms that the Jews were the people of God. This is, a, this is Sunday school, right? Right? From this text this morning, Paul's exp- explanation can be both taken literally and figuratively. Now let me explain. Literally, as surprising as this may sound, some Jewish men would go and make themselves uncircumcised, according to Maccabees. Okay? Notice he says in the text, in verse 17, he says, uh, verse 18, was any man called when he was already circumcised? That is a Jew, correct? That is someone who identifies with the Jewish nation. And then he says here, he is not to become uncircumcised. What in the world does that mean? It is both. It can be taken both literally and metaphorically. And let me explain how it could be taken literally. Literally, as surprising as it may sound, some men would go and make themselves uncircumcised. In the Greco-Roman world, being a Jew was a source of ridicule and embarrassment. Josephus The ancient historian tells us that even before the time of Christ, many Jewish men wanted to be accepted into Greco-Roman culture. They would undergo a decircumcision surgery. Amazing, right? So that they would appear uncircumcised when they went to public baths or exercised in the gym. No, no, not now. This was such a huge problem because many wanted to hide their Jewish roots. Those who had undergone this surgery were called epispatics, which comes from the word epispaomai, okay? And that's the same word that Paul is using here. It means to draw over or to pull towards. It's another way of saying uncircumcised. So is Paul saying that? Is he saying it literally or is he saying it metaphorically? Metaphorically, it meant that there, that if you were a Jew, you had to make a complete break with your Jewish culture so you would look like Gentiles. The Jewish believers in this, in this group were coaxed into thinking that when you become a Christian, not only should you change your beliefs about Christ, but you should throw away your Jewish cultural identity. Paul says, don't make your circumcision, your Jewishness, become uncircumcision, that is your Gentileness, So it's hard to say if this is speaking literally because there was a literal sense of it. Or if it was metaphorically, but perhaps he meant both and. Moving on to the next one. And we'll tie it all together. 
Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. And so here he's talking about Gentiles. Gentiles who've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And now Paul says, let him not be circumcised. This is what was happening. There was a bigger problem. And granted, in Galatia, we know that it was even a bigger problem. But here was the teaching. There were the folks who were called the Judaizers. Now, the Judaizers were folks who had some semblance of who Christ was. They claimed to be believers. They were Jews who then said, not only if you become a Christian, you not only have to trust in Christ, but you must add on top of that works. And the work that you must add is circumcision. You can't be accepted as a Christian unless you're circumcised. And so, now you have these two groups. The one who is circumcised, tempted to be uncircumcised. The one who is uncircumcised, tempted to be circumcised. Folks were being pressured that as they became saved, they had to be more Jewish in appearance. And this caused major, major problems. Why did this cause problems? Well, first, you had to add a work to salvation. So rather than saying Christ is enough, Christ's person and his blood and his cross work and his resurrection is enough to save me, rather than saying that, you had to say, well, now you have to add a work. You have, to, you have to do something good. You have to add a ritual. It created disunity. Some who took on circumcision were seen as more spiritual, more devoted. And it added difficulty. Unbiblical difficulty. What was the difficulty? Well, think about sharing the gospel. If you tried to share the gospel to your family and friends and say, well, if you want to come to church, you got to get circumcised. Imagine how hard is that to do? What he's saying here, and this is what Paul says, is that if you are a Jew and you are saved, you don't need to live like a Gentile. And he's also saying the inverse of that. If you are a Gentile and you are saved, you don't need to become like a Jew. In other words... Any unbiblical pressure to live a different way that is not listed in Scripture, that is not taught in Scripture, you don't have to do. You are free. You don't need to be pleasing other people. Ultimately, brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and his life is the ultimate approval to God the Father. Amen? It is paid. It is perfect. So, you are saved by grace through faith alone. You walk by grace through faith. Because at the end of the day, to the next point, the only thing that really matters, remember, God matters. God matters. And now Paul says something absolutely amazing. He says, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. And so what he's saying is this ritual that you hold so highly, this ritual that you, this ceremony that you, you tout and you teach or not having this ceremony, what you tout and you teach is causing disunity in the church. And he says, either way, it really doesn't matter. What do you mean, Paul? 
he says, but what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. So what he says here, none of that matters. What people think of you does not matter. What people's uh, level and their standards of approval, it does not matter. He says what matters is keeping the commandments of God. True obedience to God from the heart. God is saying that you can be obedient to me from any background that you come from. You could follow me from any horrid background that you may have come from. The real question is, are you believing what God says in his word? Or are you adding requirements such as uncircumcision and circumcision because other people say so? And I think the one of the most freeing things that I know as a Christian is that the only person you really have to please and obey is God himself. We were talking in our leadership class about how sometimes our wives get the brunt of it. There might be an accusation or something and uh, my wife would get upset. You know, someone says something about me because she loves me. I'll say, but honey, it's true. All the bad stuff is true. That's me, right? But I, I, I know... I'm a flawed man and I'm a sinful man. But I know that in Christ he has paid my ransom. And I am set free. Oh, how freeing it is when you first came to Christ. Just think about it. When you first came to Christ and people's thoughts about you didn't matter anymore. People's low view of you didn't matter anymore. People's, I, I remember I would be, uh, I, I remember I, was, I, I, I came from a high school and everybody knew my history. And when God saved me, I didn't even care anymore. Why? Because I have Jesus. Amen. There's no standard that people can put upon me because Christ already did it perfectly. Amen? So all I want to do is please him and honor him in what the scriptures say. You want to be freed from legalism? Know what the scripture says. That way folks can't throw stuff on you. Well, you need to do this. You need to do this. No, the Bible doesn't say that. This is what the Bible says. Then you're set free. Notice. Here's how, and I have to say this as a side note. Here's how not to apply this text, okay? This is how some people take this. Well, I have this sinful characteristic in my life. This is the way I am. God knows it, so I'm just going to keep doing it. No, that's not what... This is saying. Or some people say, well, I'm going to do this unwise action. This is the way I am. God's just going to have to accept it. No, that's not what this text is saying. Or I don't care if it stumbles people. I don't care if people are stumbled. I'm just going to do this anyway. No. Later on, Paul is going to deal with that. You need to care about the consciences of people. What this is saying is, is you can be sure as a Christian, brothers and sisters, no matter what you've done, you understand. 
If you come with heaps and heaps of sin, no matter what you've done, if Christ is your Savior and your Lord, you are made right before the sight of God. And that's why Paul says, circumcision and uncircumcision doesn't even matter anymore. He blows it all away. Amen? Now, it's amazing to be free of the snare of pleasing others. Maybe some of you are caught in that snare. I just, I got to keep trying to please people. The only real person you have to please is the Lord. The snare here is external religious works. But there's other snares. Like outward looks. I have to look a certain way. I have to appear a certain way. So I could please other people. No, all you have to do is focus on Christ. Proverbs 29.25 says this. You could write this down. Okay, The fear of man brings a snare. But he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. So to defeat the snare of pleasing others, remember God is the one who saves, God is the one who understands, and God only matters. Amen? The next snare you have to be aware of is the snare of better circumstances. Okay? The snare of better circumstances. Notice in verses 20 to 24, it says... He repeats the thesis. He says, let each man remain in that condition in which he was called. And very clearly, he is addressing the issue of slavery. Now, it, it behooves us for me to speak about slavery in the New Testament times. Okay, Slavery in the New Testament times is quite different. It estimated that around 50% of the whole Roman Empire were slaves. Many slaves were educated. Some were highly skilled. Some were very, very literate in comparison to other freed people. Many were professors. Many were doctors. Many were other professionals. Some slaves actually lived comfortable lives of ease and treated with respect. They were treated with respect. But, that's not to say all of them were, others were treated cruelly and they were in poverty, and they were in abuse. There was both. Notice what Paul's focus is. Some people take this text and they twist it. Paul is not making a justification for the system of slavery. You can't get that from this text. He does... Uh, many, sadly, in, in the Christian church, many folks have taken this text and says, See? Slavery! We should do it. But he makes no justification for the system of slavery. In fact, that's not the emphasis at all. Nor is he giving a blueprint of revolution to make a societal change. That's not, the, that's not what he wrote at all. But what he is emphasizing, Paul's whole emphasis, is to remind the believer that nothing... No matter how difficult and distasteful the circumstances can stop a Christian from honoring Christ right where he or she is. That's the whole emphasis. You could honor Christ from your home. You could honor Christ from a pit. You could honor Christ on a ship. You could honor Christ in the field. You could honor Christ at the school. You could honor Christ 
at distance learning, clicking on that mouse. Whatever your situation, whether it be ease or difficulty, you can honor Christ. He is that powerful. He is that glorious. He is that beautiful. Amen. Amen. Yes. Right there. Now. Verse 21. Were you called while a slave? Imagine. This is Paul's response. Oh my goodness. This is not an American response. Okay? Paul says, Do not worry about it. What? What? Do not be, the word there for worry, to be unduly anxious. In other words, what Paul is saying is don't let difficult circumstances stop you from contentment in Christ and obeying Him. I was on the phone with a former uh, member, his name is Zephaniah Mel, and we were talking. A lot of you guys know we had a friend here. He was one of my students when I trained pastors in South Asia. Uh, His name was Kupi. And if you guys have been following the news, he is a professor of a seminary in Myanmar. And he's saying the government is going crazy. They're taking people, killing them. Some of the family members have been disappearing, right? And what Coop, and what Coopy is saying is, and we're so encouraged. He says, no matter what happens, Christ is the light and he will reveal his glory. He just kept saying stuff like that. What is it that can allow a Christian under any circumstances still give praise to God? You remember Job's wife? Why don't you curse God and die, Job? Look what you're going through. And Job says, no, I will see my Redeemer. Amen? Amen. Amen. So now here, we have here, don't let difficult circumstances stop you from contentment in Christ. However difficult or distasteful, do not let those circumstances overwhelm you and dictate whether or not you will be faithful to Christ. Some people say, they look at their circumstance and they go, well, if it eases up, then I will be faithful. If it eases up, then maybe I might go to church or I might go, uh, listen, go to discipleship or follow what Christ says. If it eases up, maybe I'll do that. Oh, Christian, as long as God has you in your position where you are, be faithful there. You see, many of you don't want to hear that. Angelo, you don't you don't know my boss. My boss is awful. What this is teaching is learn to be content in Christ where you are at as long as God has you there. Amen. Yes, but if you are able also to become free, rather do that. Now notice, Paul doesn't leave it this way that you can't change your circumstance. He says, you can change your circumstance if you don't sin while doing it. Being free, of course, gives more opportunity, free from slavery. He says, gives more opportunity to serve Christ. But remember, you can serve him anywhere 
And if you recall, when Paul was in prison, did it stop him? No. In fact, his ministry grew in its constriction. Correct? Again, this is not a justification of slavery. It is a reminder that even though you're in tough circumstances, Christ is enough. Here, the gospel does not give a blueprint for a revolution of society, but when Christians are faithful to biblical Christianity, slavery does die. Do you know that? Now, we thank Wilberforce for that. Verse 22, here's the, here's the reality. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freeman. Even though, he says, in your status as a slave, and he was talking to many in the church, you, even though you are a slave, he says, you were spiritually, you have been set free from condemnation, from hell, from the enslavement of sin, your own sin. He says, you are free for all eternity. And this is why Jesus said in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth. What? Will set you free. Amen. And he goes, likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. And so he flips it. He addresses those who are slaves and he tells them, you're really free. And he addresses those who are free and he says, you're really Christ's slave. Those who would be tempted in gloating and boasting, hey, we're free and you're not. Na, 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 na. Right? Paul says, well, you know what? As one commentator says, our freedom in Christ is not to sin, but from sin. Not freedom to do our own will, but freedom to do His will. That's true freedom, friends. But now, Romans 6.22, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. You hate your job? You feel like it's slavery? Brothers and sisters, no one enslaves you. You're set free. In fact, even if you're physically bound, you can be spiritually free. I'm not, I kind of understand this. I mean, some, sometimes I hear stories from a lot of my military friends, and I kind of understand this because I used to live in a... I used to uh, teach... No, no, I didn't teach. I used to work in a warehouse, okay? And I was working in a warehouse, and I was recruiting folks, and I had p folks in, uh, working on one department and another, and they always hired military guys. Always hired military guys. But these military guys always had a chip on their shoulder. They always did. And there was one guy who was my boss who loved to publicly berate me all the time. He liked to call me on the floor and humiliate me in front of like a couple hundred people all the time. And it was the only job I had. I had little kids. I was in seminary. And I had to eat it. Yeah, I had to eat it. And, you know, I came to work, and I'm confessing, okay? I came to work, I was like, I'm going to punch him in the nose. Says something, I'm going to pop him right in the nose. Angelo, he had a, he had a southern accent. Angelo, come over here. He was already, 
They already put him in anger management, you know? And I don't know why they didn't fire him yet. Angelo, come here. Come here. Why aren't there people here to work and unload my trailer? He'd say like that. What kind of recruiter are you? And he would say that. And I'd say, uh, sorry, about, and he would just curse me out. I can't even repeat what he said. And I would walk back to my little office in the warehouse, humiliated and angry. And the next day, I would go to work and I'd say, oh, I hate this job. Oh, I hate this job. And I kept that attitude for months. You could even ask Chinette. Angry and mad. Hating that job. And then I read texts like this. In my situation. And I read. The Bible tells me. Look three times in this passage. As the Lord is assigned to each one. As God has called in this manner. Let him walk. Once. Verse 20. Each man must remain in that condition. In which he was called. Verse 24. Brethren each one is to remain with God. In that condition in which he was called. And I couldn't change my situation at the time. I couldn't find another job. I kept applying. <laughs> I kept applying. No one would take me. Was I tempted not to obey? Yeah, I was tempted. But here's what happened. God was convicting me of my sin. He had his own sins. Old Bob had his own sins, okay? But I had mine. I was chafing under it. I would not receive it. I would go home complaining and grumbling. I would go home and my wife would say, Are you talking to yourself again? <laughs> Putting dishes away. Putting... Talking to myself, angry. Until I said, Thank you, God, for this trial. It took everything in me by God's grace. Thank you, God, for this trial. Thank you that you did this. You are teaching me through this. You want me to grow. You want me to grow under this unreasonable boss. And I did not pray evil over him. You thought I did, right? I did not. After I did, like, within the next week, he got fired. <laughs> but it wasn't until I asked God, God, thank you, and I told him, thank you. Some of you in our Bible study 20 years ago remember that. And I shared that. I can't stand my job. <laughs> Some of you remember that, but it wasn't until I thanked him, and I really said in my heart, by God's grace, I said, God, Christ, you are enough. I am going to love that man in Christ. I will respond in respect. He will not control and rob my joy. Brothers and sisters, no one can. Do you understand? Because in reality, in reality, verse 23, here's the basis of everything. 
This is our only story in this church. Understand. Here's the basis. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. He repeats what he said in 1 Corinthians 6, 20, for you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. He says, your sexual purity is a result of the cross work of Christ. If in fact your sins have been redeemed, the word there redeemed means to be bought off of a slave block. If you were a slave to sin and Christ's blood paid for it, you have been set free. And now he introduces this new aspect of the cross. This new application of the cross. That if in fact Jesus did buy me, he paid for my sins, I am set free, I don't have to be the slaves of other men. No matter what circumstances I am in, I am free. Amen. He says in 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that we were redeemed not with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. I don't have to be a slave of men. I don't have to live by other standards anymore. God gave. He created you. For such a higher purpose that is to bring glory to him. But we have all gone our own way. We have sinned. It has created a rift between us and God. An uncrossable rift. And so he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to put on flesh. To live a perfectly holy life that you could not do. To die on the cross. To be resurrected and ascended. And the Bible says that if we have faith in him... If you have faith in him, you will be saved and all the righteous standards that God has for you will have been met in Christ. And this as an application now frees you from the approval of man. Frees you from the added tests of men. Frees you from the constriction of outside circumstances and difficulties. No one can control and own your soul because Christ himself has bought it forever. And then he reminds you, brethren, let each man remain with God in that condition in which he was called. He repeats it. Be willing to remain how you were saved. He determines what you were to be, for what purpose, and for how long. Salvation is no reason to leave your status, to leave your marriage, to leave your um, employer, to leave your singleness, or any other circumstance unless it is sin. Leave sin, but otherwise stay where you are until God himself moves you. That's how you know. Let God move me. In other words, can you bloom where you are planted? Can you bloom where you're planted? You know, I kind of ignored my garden during COVID and during the whole winter. I love my vegetable garden. I kind of ignored it. I grew it so I could have my Asian vegetables because I'm an Asian and I want my Asian vegetables. Okay? So I was growing some bok choy. Tell you a bok choy story. I was growing some bok choy 
And I just kind of let it go to seed, and it bolted the seed in the summer. And all the seeds kind of fell, and I just, I said, you know what, I'm going to have to get it later. I have to study. I got to do this. I got to do that. And it fell, not in the soil, but the seeds fell in the rocks. And you know what that, this year, it was interesting. Bok choy was growing out of the rocks. That's true. Tachi's going, yeah, that's true. It was growing out of the rocks. I said, how are you growing out of the rocks? You're supposed to be in the soil. And you're growing out of the rocks. You know, brothers and sisters, no matter how hard and how difficult your situation in, you're in, you can grow in Christ anywhere. You can have joy in Christ anywhere. You can find his sustenance and his contentment that you have, that your sins have been forgiven. You can have that anywhere. Amen? Father in heaven, we praise you. Thank you for your kindness and your love. Thank you that we are not beholden to our circumstances, to our difficulties. You yourself grant joy. And so we pray, Father, I pray for that struggling Christian. However difficult it may be right now, I pray you would fill them with joy this morning. Flood them with joy. I pray you would do that work. Help us, Jesus. Help us to sing this last song and give you praise. Amen.